let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And he called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters he were gathered together that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was to rule over the day and over the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that he had, that he had made and behold, it was, God saw everything that he'd made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. We'll keep your Bible open because we will be referring to that passage. But let's now seek God in prayer. Our Lord God in heaven, we thank you for all that we've been able to uh, sing about this morning for the scriptures we've already read and referred to. And now, Lord, we pray, please help us. Please help me to be able to teach your word faithfully and with love and helpfully. 
And please, Lord, speak to all of our souls and help us, Lord, to uh, learn from you what you'd have us to learn today. That those who already belong to you will be encouraged and that any who do not yet belong to you will be moved to come to Christ for salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we are in, uh, we, we, we started last week a series which will be going on for much of this term, which, which is going to be based upon this chapter, this first chapter of Genesis. And I'm calling God's answer to paganism. And uh, last week, uh, I introduced the series, and uh, I mentioned the various clashes that are going on and how relevant um, what we're going to be thinking about these few weeks uh, is to those clashes. Now, I just want to say, um, because I was picked up on this, and rightly so, um, that... um, when I mentioned last week about uh, culture wars and um, those who have, quotes woke views or those who have, quotes traditional values, um, I, I, I didn't want to give the impression that everybody who, who espouses, quotes a traditional view of, of marriage or whatever is necessarily a true Christian. Or, for that matter, that person is necessarily living as Christ would live. Uh, nor for that matter, those who would say that they are anti-woke. Uh, some who call themselves anti-woke are extremely non-Christian in the way that they behave and, uh, and, and, and some of the things that they say and do. Uh, so uh, in case anybody might have got the impression that, that, you know, that we're saying Christianity equals you know, a particular sector of our society that is taking up these particular causes, I want to just correct that uh, this morning. Um, The point I was really trying to make was that there are these hot issues out there. And this chapter is extremely relevant to those issues. And and, and at lots of points, we will find that it, 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 it directly speaks into the things that are being debated at the present time. And also the other thing I was sort of trying to say is that, is that the fierceness which we are starting to encounter now uh, is really because paganism, which has always been there, but it's resurfacing in Western society. And we really have, it, there are some people who hold to those views with almost like a religious fervor. And so anything that challenges their pagan views, they regard uh, as, as, as very, very offensive. Now, last week we, we um, were thinking from verse 1 about how God is the eternal God. Remember, we're thinking those few words at the beginning. In the beginning, God. God was there. God is the eternal God, without beginning and without end, who exists independently from this world. He is uh, almighty, not dependent on anything or anybody. Uh, Three persons in one God. And we were thinking about how This means that we should worship him and only him and not worship anything that's been created. And we should should have a humble view of ourselves because we, next to almighty God, we are mere dust before him in and of ourselves. Well, today I want us to uh, think about this phrase which we had as we saw in that reading, it repeated numerous times. And God said. 
And I want us to see how what this teaches us is that the natural world was brought into being by God's command. Didn't get here just by blind chance, but God commanded this natural world to exist and all the things that are in this world, he commanded this natural world to exist. And that is why it is here. That is why you and I are here. Now this truth that this world got here through God's command rather than by blind chance has enormous implications. You see, if what some people say is true, that, that everything that exists, including you and me, we're just the product of blind chance, we're just a random collection of molecules with no significance, well then, there's no basis for morality, there's no reason for life. You might as well just do what unbelievers say, well, let us eat, drink and be merry, because tomorrow we die. But if this world exists because God brought it into being by his own express command, then we are answerable to him. And we must repent of our sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and live for his glory. So what I want to do this morning is to... um, to, uh, to, 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 show, to show you how this passage and indeed the whole of Scripture teaches that, that uh, this world exists due to God's commanding it to happen. And then I want us to consider some objections to that and uh, then I want to consider some implications for our lives. So, first of all, then I want us to let's let's look and see how this is taught in Scripture. And just look again with me at this chapter, and I'll just quickly point out to you those places where we have this phrase. And God said, verse three. And God said, "Let there be light." And the outcome. Second half, verse three. And there was light. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the, in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from waters. And what happened? Verse 7, and God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. Verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one to one place and let the dry ground appear. And what happened? End of verse 9. And it was so. Verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days, and for years. And that, that let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And what happened? End of verse 15. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light, which is the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser night, to rule the night, the moon, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to to give light on the earth, and so on. And then verse uh, 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let them birds fly above the earth uh, uh, across the expanse of the heavens. And what happened? Verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird's according to its kind. And then verse 26. Sorry, sorry, verse 24. Uh, and God said, let, them, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. 
livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. There's the result. Verse 25. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And then verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the creatures over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So what happened? Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. So again and again we see God saying, and it happened. That's the teaching of this chapter that God says and it happens and it's not just here in Genesis that we see this we, we read earlier in our um, service from Psalm 33 uh, if you want to look again it's page 547 uh, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Verse 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. What God says, in terms of creation, happens. This creation is here because God has commanded it. Psalm 148. Which is, of course, the basis of the hymn we've just sung. Page 623. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining hosts. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. And he established them forever. He gave a decree, it shall not pass away. And then when we come to the New Testament, we see that this is also taught in the New Testament, that the, work, that the creation, the natural world, came into being through the command of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Page 1195. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So, this world was brought into being by the command of God. Not made from visible things, but it was made as a result of God's command. By the word of God. Then also 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. I will read from verse 4 about what the scoffers were saying who deny the coming of Christ. Page 1208. They will say, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately over overlooked this fact that, by, that the heavens existed long ago 
and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So we see then that uh, the scriptures teach that this world was brought into being through God's command. Now, there are many other scriptures I've got listed here. I'm not going to read them out to you now. But there are many other scriptures which also speak about God having made the world. This world being here through the will of God. It's the action of God. So that's the teaching of scripture, that, that this world was brought into being through the word, through the command of God. Now, I, I, I'm going to need to mention objections to this, and um, I'm going to divide it into two. First of all, those who would advocate atheistic evolution, those who say, well, you know, in crude terms, people sometimes say, oh, science has disproved God. Uh, it's so obvious that this world got here through evolution. It's so obvious that it all got through, through, through natural processes. Uh, it's nothing to do with the, with the action of God. It's all down to, to natural processes which have just carried on uh, through, through many millions of years. And some, and, and people... Have, have said, oh, well, that, that, you know, that there's no God. It's all here through blind chance. Well, let me just make a few comments on this. First of all, we should say that a scientist who makes religious remarks is going beyond his remit as a scientist. It's not the job of a scientist to, to say about God or about the existence of God. The job of scientists is to observe this world and do experiments and try to work out what, what is happening. Another thing to say is this, that the history of science shows that what is a consensus in one period becomes utterly discredited in another period. I'll give you an example. Um, Scientists used to believe, used to be common consensus, that, that uh, when things went off, uh, bacteria, they could see bacteria under the microscope, but they, they, they thought, well, those bacteria must have just spontaneously started to multiply. From, from, you know, they just suddenly, spontaneously start to, 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 to multiply. But... Uh, and, and when Pasteur said, no, 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 there, are, there, there must be bacteria which, which are flying through the air on, attached to dust and landing on, on things and causing them to go, go to, 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 and then they, they start to multiply. He was ridiculed and mocked. And he had to prove it by putting some, some sterilized objects in, in, in airtight capsules uh, and, and to prove that they don't, they don't uh, spontaneously corrupt, and those those are those experiments of Pasteur are still, I think it's in the Louvre or somewhere in some French museum somewhere, still there, still not gone off. Uh, and he proved that that no, uh, that's how uh, bacteria get around. Well. So and, 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 and science had to to, to, to rejig itself. It had to had to um, rethink. So who's to know what, what people will be saying about the scientific consensus that's been around in the last hundred and fifty years or so? The other thing to say, of course, is that is that what is claimed to be consensus among scientists is not actually consensus anyway because there are quite a large number of scientists secular scientists who are saying that what they can see is pointing to intelligent design 
Shot forward in the last 50 years or so. I can remember when I was at school, the line we were told, well, of course, they said, well, you had these very primitive forms of life, you know, like amoebae and things like this, and then they gradually evolved to become more complex. But what they've now discovered is that even these amoebae, these apparently very simple uh, forms of life, have got incredibly complex instructions in them about how to replicate and how to, how to, um, how to behave. Uh, let me guess, this is just something I just, uh, I've, I've picked up from, from an article I was reading uh, recently um, about DNA. Let me give you some, some quotations. Uh, DNA, of course, is what is, are those molecules which contain precise instructions as to how the body is to grow and how different organs are to function. Well, here are some, some uh, fact, facts about DNA, which a secular website has put up. This secular website says there are 3.2 billion base pairs or sets of genetic letters which make up the human genome, which is in every cell of the human body. In order to list all those letters, a person would have to type 60 words per minute, eight hours a day for 50 years. And this code is miniaturized into the nucleus of each human cell. The nucleus of the cell is 0.0002 inches across. In order to keep the space tidy, the DNA spools around pro a group of proteins called histones. The resulting taut package of wound up DNA is called a chromatin, which winds up even tighter to form your chromosomes. If the DNA from one cell was untangled, it would be six feet long. If all the DNA in your body were put end to end, the resulting strand would be 67 billion miles long. The same as about 150,000 round trips to the moon. And every self-reproducing cellular organism so far examined has DNA in its cells. Isn't that incredible? Now that's language, isn't it? Incredibly complex coding, which is in every living cell that exists. Code doesn't get there by random, does it? Code is language, and it's been written by somebody. And so the more we know about the biology, not the more it becomes obvious that we're here through blind evolution, the more it becomes absolutely obvious that God has made this world. God has designed this world. 
So the objections of atheistic evolutionists cannot stand. They must be rejected. The scripture says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You have to say, you have to be a fool to say in the light of overwhelming evidence that this world was not made by God. But there is another objection to the idea that the world was brought into being by the direct command of God. And this comes from those who believe what is sometimes called theistic evolution. Now, um, this idea is that God made this world and everything in it, but that God chose to use the means of evolution to bring different creatures into being. And this view would interpret Genesis chapter 1 as speaking symbolically rather than as a literal account of what happened. And it would seek to synthesize scripture with the consensus view of many scientists about the origin of the universe. Now, there have been many good Bible-believing theologians and believers who have taken this approach in interpreting this chapter. And um, I believe there are some in the church here who, who, who would take that view. And we certainly should not regard... Uh, all who take this approach as unbelievers or liberals or as those who deny scripture. And we must agree with those who advocate this view that God could, if he had chosen, have uh, brought about the world using the means of evolution. And we should also agree that a certain degree of evolution on a small scale and within species is observable. But I think there are some problems with theistic evolution. Whilst much as I respect uh, others who, who, who would hold that view, and I, I think I should just share these with you. You can, you can either accept or reject what I say. And if you, if you do believe in theistic evolution, you know, I'm not going to denounce you or anything else like that, but I'll just put these, these things to you for you to think about. Probably you have thought about these things already, but just to mention these things. First of all, as I've already mentioned, the frequent assertion in Scripture that God made the world by his command. The second problem with what would be called theistic evolution is the problem of the origin of death. Theistic evolution would see death in the natural world as the means by which different species were selected and evolved. But the teaching of scripture would seem to be that death, not just human death, came into the natural world as a result of Adam's sin. Notice how we saw, we read in, in Genesis 1 about how God gave the green plants to man to eat, and he actually gave the green plants to the animals to eat. It does not seem that at this point in time, uh, the animals were eating each other. Um, some might disagree with that, uh, but that would seem to me to be the plain reading of that verse. Uh, and uh, when we come to to Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, we see how Paul there speaks about, about how the, the, this, this, this natural world was subjected to frustration. This is on page 1,122. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul there seems to be saying that the whole of creation 
has been put out of kilter through Adam's sin. That death, decay, frustration, not just in human life, but in the whole natural world, springs from Adam's sin. Now, if that's the case, then that really poses a big problem for theistic evolution. The third thing which, which uh, is a problem, it seems to me, for theistic evolution is the matter of Adam. Uh, in the second half of Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talks about how Adam is the pattern of Christ and how Adam's one sin led to death and condemnation for all. And he builds on that and says, just as Adam's, or draws a contrast between Adam and Christ and said, yes, Adam is like Christ in that his one action affected the whole of humanity and Christ's one action, his death on the cross, affects all those who are in Christ. But also very different because Adam's one sin led to death and condemnation for all his descendants, whereas Christ's one act of righteousness led to justification for all who are in Christ. Now, that whole argument depends upon there being an, a, a, a man called Adam who was created and created perfect. If you have a view of man whereby man sort of gradually evolved from, from apes or whatever, then where does that fit in? Now, in fairness, um, quite a few theistic evolutions, evolutionists will, even though they might talk about theistic evolution for animals, would say, as regards man, man was created by the command individually, uh, separately which, of course, I would agree with. But I would argue, well, if that's the case, well, why not the animals and, and all the other things as well created by the command of God? And so my own view, I mean, you might disagree with me, as I said, and I'm not going to denounce you or anything, but my own view would be that, that, um, that theistic evolution has problems. And actually, we're better to say, this world is here, and everything is in, that's in this world is here simply because of the command of God. God said it should happen, and it happened directly because of God's command. Well, now I want to just draw out some implications from this world being made by God's command. And I, I, I trust, I'm sure it is true, that even though, even if you do believe in theistic evolution, I'm sure that in this third section you will agree with everything I say. Because it really comes up from the fact of the general teaching of scripture that God has made all things. And the first thing to say is this. If this world has been made by God at his command, then unbelievers must repent. You see, what the scripture is saying is, it is clear. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. You can see the power of God in the creation. Whether you're looking up at, in, into the sky and looking at the universe, or whether you're looking down a microscope at a, at, at a piece of DNA. Well, you can't even see the DNA, or you work it out from from what, however they work it out. I don't know how they do it. But you can see the power of God, the majesty and the glory of God. And Paul speaks about this in Romans 1. And he says, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them 
because God has shown it to them. For since for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You say, maybe there's somebody here who is an, an atheist or agnostic or might listen, be listening to this one day. You might say, oh, I'm waiting for evidence. I'm waiting for proof. Huh. God has given you plenty of evidence, plenty of proof. It's just you don't want to see it. You're suppressing it. You're holding it down. And it's right there in your face. And rather than sort of saying, oh, well, I'm waiting for God to do it, just humble yourself and say, I've been wrong. I've been a sinful unbeliever. And I must stop this nonsense. And I must repent and believe in the Lord. Another implication for us who believe is that we should believe that our God is powerful. Our God is able to answer prayer. Our God is able to do astonishing things. If God can command and bang, immediately there's light. Immediately there's a sun and the moon. Immediately there are all the creatures upon earth. Our God is a great God. And uh, we who believe should confidently trust in him. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah records how God told him that he was to go out and he was to, this, the Babylonian Empire was knocking at the doors, as it were, just about to come and, and invade Jerusalem and destroy Jerusalem. And God told Jeremiah that he was going to go and buy a field. And Jeremiah's thinking, what? Go and buy a field? When the whole land's going to be destroyed? And God says, yes, because people are going to come back again in 70 years' time. And it seemed absolutely ridiculous, absolutely absurd. But he did it because God told him to do it. And, he, and, and uh, Jeremiah says to, 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 to God... Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Our Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. See, if God made the heavens and the earth, nothing is too hard for him. Your unbelieving son or daughter, whose heart is hard. Nothing is too hard for God. That sin that you're struggling with, you're really battling to overcome. Nothing is too hard for him. He made the heavens and the earth. Do you think your particular issue is too difficult for God to deal with? Of course not. We don't know, of course, sometimes what his will will be. But nothing is too hard for him. The unbelief that we see all around us, the sin sweeping into our nation, nothing is too hard for God. He can change, he can cause a nation to be born in a day. He can cause great revival to break out. It's no problem to God. Nothing is too hard for him. So be encouraged if you're a believer then I like this we should trust God to look after us another prophet Isaiah he was also he also lived before the Babylon exile and he looked forward to the time when the people of Israel would be feeling bereft of God they would feel God's abandoned me God's forgotten me God doesn't care. I'm here in exile. Everything's looking really black and terrible. 
And he wrote Isaiah chapter 40, inspired by God. Well, God, in fact, dictates it really to him. And here are these comforting words. Verse 27 of Isaiah 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by, by God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the I Am, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall grow faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Look, your God the one you're relying on, if you're a Christian, is the one who made the heavens and the earth. Do you think he's going to flag out? Do you think he's going, oh, sorry, I can't help you anymore? <laughs> is he going to, you know, lose his strength? Of course not. He's the everlasting God. And he gives that strength to the weary. Now, another implication. If God made this world by this mighty, his own mighty power. Whose world is it? Well, of course, it's his world, isn't it? As the scripture teaches. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all those who live therein. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. It's his world. Your house. It's his house. If you've got a car, it's his car. Your phone, it's his phone. The money that is in the bank, it's his money. Everything is his. It all belongs to him. We are just stewards looking after his possessions because the earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it. Another implication. If God made this world by his command, he can also end this world by his command. He spoke and it came into being. And the time will come when that he will speak again. The trumpet will sound. And this earth as we know it will be destroyed. That was the point of that passage from 2 Peter which you read earlier. People forget that by the word of God the world came into being. Well by that same word the world, the world is being reserved for the final judgment says, says Peter. It's coming. So that means that you and I are answerable to God because Jesus is coming again, this world will end and there will be the final judgment day. And it means we shouldn't love this world too much. We're just past and true, just camping until the Lord comes again. Another implication. We should not think that we can impress God with our religious buildings. This is a, an age-old problem that mankind has got. Oh, we're going to build a great cathedral to the glory of God. We're going to bring great mosque, great shrine. Well, buildings have their uses. Thank God for this building. It's a very useful building. And they're worth spending a bit of money on to maintain and, you know, stop the roof water coming through the walls and heat, make comfortable, etc. But we should not fall into the trap of thinking we can do some 
great shrine for God. Isaiah says, chapter 66, in verse 1, which is also quoted in the New Testament. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be. God's made the heavens for his throne. He's made the earth for his footstool. Well, what can you produce for him? He doesn't need anything at all from us, as we said last week. And the last thing is this. Last thing, if God has made this world and everything in it by his command, we should worship God. We start off the service. Revelation 4.1. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they are created. Well, think also of that great doxology in um, the end of, of Romans chapter 11. The Apostle Paul writes, just find it quickly. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. May we worship God individually and corporately. This is why I said earlier, why we gather. We gather, very important reason we gather, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, to worship God. It's right that we should do so because he has made all things as well as for the fact that he has saved us through Christ. Well, I hope that that is helpful for you and I'd like to just pick up one of those themes that I spoke about in our last hymn number 773 uh, no sorry 774 same tune 774 a sovereign protector I have this 